Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode four of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities Presents Hometown Haunts. I am your host, Kat Cloco, and with me tonight, I have Christina Gould. Gould. Oh, my God. I like that. Christina Gould. Gould. It's like, well, this week is the Treehouse of Horror, so like we, yeah. can, we can have Halloween names. I am putting jeff's last name on your name i'm sorry troy anyway christina wald and jen kohler (laughs) welcome everyone it's another creepy week we have a lot of stuff to share first off christina you have an update on our kickstarter for the cincinnati uh cabinet of curiosities comics (laughs) anthology number one it's not like i say it 50 times a day Well, that's why it gets confusing after a while. We've said it so long and we've been pushing so hard, but it's because we like it so much. I mean, we We do want to share it. it I mean, it's, it's really exciting. And um, we're at 93 backers and 3,418 right now. So we're like 2,500 shy of our goal. Uh, So it's super exciting. And actually we really hope we can um, get some stretch goals because we plan to put most of the money into the next issue to pay artists and start writing and all that stuff. So we're super over 3000. Yes. Thank you so much. Yeah. We're so excited. Thanks everybody who has been supporting us. We've had some great press, uh, the inquirer, uh, WCPO. It's been really wonderful. So yes. if you haven't backed yet, please back. If you have backed, yay, we really we have the new tier too. Yes. Oh, yes. Talk about the new tier, Kat. Oh, so for, oh man, I don't have it pulled up, man. But can... we have the regional cryptid tier that we just added and it's 35 bucks and it has, let's see, the digital version. It has the physical copy. It mm-hmm. has stickers that I know I drew one. Um, I drew a Mothman, but um we also have these new cryptid prints and we are unveiling the a different artist's print every single four, next four days, Yes, every day, so daily. And today was Jamie Filer and his Mothman print, which is epically awesome. And I'm so excited. I actually amended my original backing because I backed my own Kickstarter. <laughs> and to make sure that I can get this because even though I'm the editor that does not guarantee me prints so. <laughs> I, I, I was like I have to have is. these so tomorrow we're revealing another artist and then we're going to some of the later prints are not we're not they're going to be slower reveals but we'll definitely be revealing the artist's name each day this week and then we'll get to kind of see the art unfold of the other two uh prints but the first if the first two are any indication we're super excited and it seems like that's what artists want to draw whenever you're saying i want to you know i gave them the option of drawing a haunting or a you know house with a ghost or whatever and it's always the cryptids everybody wants to draw cryptids it's like an obsession there's so much fun to draw that's why with my (laughs) level with the sketches i was like please please request monsters because they're fun to draw so um and yeah that's our new tier for this week and uh, it will be just stay tuned to the kickstarter to see all the different cryptids that get revealed and the artists they're all local cincinnati region artists which is awesome and then kat's been involved in something really exciting do you want to talk a little bit about that yeah so for my friends over at the drama workshop i put together a short 
ghost story and I got to tell it for their workshop fundraiser and the my tier of the fundraiser is called local legends and I'm with a number of different local storytellers and it's a mix of historical and fictional spooky stories from uh, seven local storytellers Greg Hand, Carol Marie Stock, Bill Stringer, Kat Jones, Jeb Brack, and Adriana Marie Boy, in addition to myself, Kat Cloco. And I'm not going to reveal what story I talked about, but it's a good one and it's so full of Cincinnati history. It is a true story with a ghost attached to it. So. I enjoyed doing it. It was a fun project and I loved talking if you hadn't noticed. So um, please go check them out. It's uh, the Drama Workshop in Cincinnati. It's their uh, fundraiser and my tier is called Local Legends. Excellent. That's really cool. So I guess now it's on to weird things we saw this week. Yes. Okay. Let's see who's going first. You can. Let me pull up my file. I have my file here, but like you, we each said we have 8,000 things open on our computer. There's so much going on, which I'm glad that there's a lot going on. But at the same time, I'm like, why did I sign up for so much stuff? I know, I know. Why why did I do this? It's because we've been trapped in our houses for the last six months. And we're like now doing stuff. We never leave our desks, but we're doing a ton of things. So right. That's kind of yeah. what's happened. But the weird thing I saw this week was, remember in 2016, they had clowns showing up. And so yes. again, it my like favorite- around it when it came, the first exactly. part Exactly. Well, my, you know, my favorite site, Boing Boing, had an article this week about a group of creepy clowns scaring citizens in Fargo, North Dakota. And there's <laughs> not much to the story. It's about a mother and her son playing tennis and suddenly people in clown masks show up. But I'd be curious to know if that's ever happened in Cincinnati. Do you guys know if you've ever heard of anything like that? No. I mean, not no. that we're trying to give people the idea, but I guess I don't know if it's like the popularity of of it or what it is, but it's kind of a weird trend. It, yeah, no, I haven't heard that happening in Cincinnati. I so. mean, it's a good surefire way to get yourself shot if you're going to stand in the woods looking like a clown and menacingly stare at people don't do it (laughs) it may sound like fun but don't do it (laughs) maybe that's that's the new mask people just wearing clown costumes and masks Um. yeah yeah there was a lot of those at halloween last year (laughs) and kat what did you see so my thing in in this um, I actually first saw it in a meme on one of the social media sites and I looked a little bit into it and mine is ancient mummies unearthed in Egypt after more than 2,600 years. And the meme that I had seen with this was please no, don't open them. There's been enough crap happening this year that we don't need the curse of the mummies in 2020. And basically it's, um, they found an Acropolis uh, with 59 ancient coffins. Wow. And in, uh, they, oh, where is it? Uh, they, the ornate sarcophagi had remained unopened since they were entombed near the famed Step Pyramid of Dozer in uh, Saqqara, according to Egypt's Ministry of Tourism and Antiquities. 
And so they did open um, the sarcophagi with, and they also have, say, footage shared by the Ministry of Color. No, wait, they may not have opened them yet. This, kids, is why you pre-read articles before going on um, <laughs> radio shows. Um, it's called editing. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, anyway, the the artifacts are an excellent preservation and um they'll be displayed at the grand egyptian museum next year oh they did open some of them because they have a photo of a gentleman wearing a mask very gently opening up the sarcophagus with a mummy wrapped up inside mm-hmm. i'm sure nothing bad happened i'm sure nothing <laughs> bad sure. will happen mm-hmm. from this absolutely nothing and what about you jen um well this is a it's not weird it's just to me it's fascinating it's um i saw an article on the body farm in uh tennessee and it's this an archaeological made me excited huh <laughs> this made me excited oh good <laughs> you know it's funny i read an article about it years ago and then they did an episode about it on bones mm-hmm. and i'm like i know what that is but anyway it's an archaeological um program i think at the university of tennessee Mm -hmm. some college and they study how bodies decompose and it it's just really fascinating that they are doing this and that people will donate their bodies to it so we can learn how things happen and it got started i'm going to read from and it's an ifl science article by james felton and it was, he released it last week or published it last week. And the history behind it is uh, William M. Arche- An- oh, I'm sorry, anthropologist William M. Bass in 1971 uh, conceived the idea. Mm-hmm. Bass wanted to better understand the decomposition process of the human body after, after being asked by law enforcement to analyze the body for criminal investigation. Police discovered a grave that had been disturbed and the corpse inside looked suspiciously fresh for a man who supposedly died during the Civil War. They believe the grave may have contained the body of someone recently murdered and then placed in the grave where Colonel William Shy once lay. Bass, too, thought the body had been switched given the corpse's pink flesh. However, he was wrong. Analysis of the body's teeth would confirm that it was Colonel Shy and his body had been well-preserved due to the tight seal of his iron casket which they have now ruined <laughs> which they yeah i'm sure he's not in as great shape now nope no but because of that it it led him to create the program and one of the things that has been suggested they learned from their research and i thought this was a little creepy um it says recently it's been suggested that Flourishing plants could help investigate investigators spot where a body is buried due to the nu- nutrients in the ground. Last year's investigators discovered that corpses move for up to a year after death, with their arms even moving 90 degrees from the body. Oh my what? god, that's so fun! How do really? they move though? Is it just like gas or is it yeah. from animals? Like but how does it move? <laughs> that is really wild. I didn't know that. That's a weird. <laughs> I yeah. know, but they do all these 
these different tests, like they'll put you in the trunk of a car, mm-hmm. they'll submerge you in water, they'll set mm-hmm. you on fire. And I'm mm-hmm. just like, they'll leave you strung up in trees. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So I actually looked up the body farms because I know there are several in the United States. Yes. And uh, we have a few. And would you like me to read them out? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have the University of Tennessee, Western Carolina University, Texas State University, Sam Houston State University, Southern Illinois University, Colorado Mesa University, and University of South Florida. And I love, like, shout out to uh, Southern Illinois University for testing how bodies decomp in the Midwest. Here in Cincinnati. Yeah, it's actually very important. And yeah. uh, we did not have one at Indiana University. I'm not sure which one they worked with, um, but um, I find they don't always use human corpses. Pigs will also get substituted from time to time. What I did mm-hmm. love was a follow-up to your article, Jen, where cats mm-hmm. were eating them, the corpses. <laughs> oh, yeah. And actually yeah. looking for specific ones and eating them over a course of months. Really? The so they tissue. pick they picked certain people they so they would avoid certain people yeah they picked their favorites and came back to them and they would even have gaps in the weeks so it wasn't always the same like schedule so cats are truly evil (laughs) they're all sweet when you're alive (laughs) well maybe they're just efficient (laughs) efficient yeah well i told you my cat full on she's gonna eat me if i die in my sleep she will eat me It'll be your eyeballs that will go first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking and of then evil. Your teeth. <laughs> speaking of evil, I guess this is a good segue because we were going to talk a little bit about uh, Satan's Hollow. So did yes. you want to kind of start with a little introduction? So what we have in Cincinnati is a wonderful urban legend that a lot of people know about, but very few actually visit. Except for Christina and Jen, they visited it. And this place is Satan's Hollow in Blue Ash, Ohio. One of the best known urban legends in Cincinnati tri-state region is one of the least seen places, which is Satan's Hollow in Blue Ash. A series of drainage tunnels located in an urban woodland. It is said that they are the entrance to hell and that Satan himself stalks the concrete passages at night. As legend goes, a group of Satanists gathered together in these drainage tunnels to secretly hold dark masses in the altar room, doing animal sacrifices, conjuring devils, and even holding a human sacrifice to summon the Lord of Darkness himself to Blue Ash. (laughs) Screams can be heard coming from the tunnels. Floating skulls have been seen witnessed have been witnessed haunting the areas as well as reports of a shadow man stalking the woodland around the entrance into Satan's Hollow and he keeps visitors away. Because these are storm water drainage tunnels, to actually make it to the altar room is a bit of an inclined hike in a narrow tunnel system that you should not be visiting. Not to mention that the shadow man may actually be local homeowner whose property visitors are trespassing on since the tunnel empties out onto private land. It is most likely that you'll come face to face with local law enforcement before you'll actually find the devil himself. And then Christina worked on this piece for the Cincinnati uh, 
Cabinet of Curiosities Comics Anthology. So, Christina, how is it like visiting Satan's Hollow? And and Jen, you can come back since you were with me. Um, yeah, you two actually did yeah. this legend trip, and, 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 and I did not come along. I, I'm going to post a picture because um, on the Channel Nine article they just did of us. They went, you know, when they went there, you could actually see it pretty well. But when we went, um, a couple of trees have fallen mm -hmm. from, you know, all the storms we've had. We've had some pretty, you know, bad weather. And so you couldn't actually get to it. There's giant trees obscuring it now. So there's not a clean entrance like what I drew in the comic at all. Um, as a matter of fact, it probably was somewhat treacherous getting to it. So it's it perhaps treacherous. Perhaps yeah. it's uh, Satan trying to close the door or something. <laughs> <laughs> He's had it with blue ash. <laughs> but it's, it's kind of a weird location. I mean, uh, as we, we discussed before, um, like there's a bunch of apartment complexes around it. Uh, there's actually a new, we're probably revealing too much. There's a new townhome, really nice townhomes right next to it. But where I kind of had thought it was, was an abandoned area for recreation where there was a basketball court or tennis courts right and basketball mm -hmm. and yeah. um there was like an abandoned play set uh and and an abandoned aquarium which jen got really nice photos of that was very strange all i could think of was when jen said that he satan was closing up i'm like dang girl scouts get off my lawn <laughs> don't want any more of your samoas or mint thin mints <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because when I was doing the story, um, I couldn't find anything about where this story came from. And so for our talk today, I decided to do a little research about how common it is for drains to actually have this sort of lore mm -hmm. and a quick Google search. And there's actually a, a drain system in New Jersey which has a very very similar legend it's a bigger drain but they say what it's seven drains that are are the circles of hell and that there's a skull room i mean it's it's very um raiders of the lost ark or something you know i was just about to say it's always bigger in new jersey yes exactly i mean it's 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 a very similar story and then i also found another story and i'll put links um in in our uh, description of the show but there in salt lake city there's rumored to be tons of tunnels underneath the city that all go to the latter-day saints temple so and, and it looked like hmm. some of those are drains and that sort of thing so there's all this lore around drains like uh if you've read neverwhere by neil gaiman um you know that takes place in the london sewer systems mm -hmm. uh it of course by stephen king takes place in the drain systems yeah. there's all this lore and I our friend jay caligayan's book mess yes takes place yes in the drains and i in think the sewer system a, yes mess and we'll have a link to mess too i mean i think that there's a lot of lore about them because they're almost they're they're very uh sophisticated architectural structures that no one is in you know so they're hidden they're also really similar to other gates of hell and uh, that are historically important around the world. So they're kind of a modern structure that goes like a modern cave, basically, that's going into the earth. And that's looking up the different gates of hell from different traditions. All of them are either man-made or most are naturally made 
structures and uh, it ranges from places in Greece, in, in Italy, in Japan, in, in China. A lot of them are caves, but there's um, <laughs> some old volcanoes that are believed to be it. it. So I think that's just a translation of that fear of dark cavernous areas that humans tend to have. And uh, with the overlay of the satanic panic from the 70s and 80s and early 90s. And uh, uh, we also have a story from Indian Hill that a friend shared that was an interesting add-on to... Yeah, I, I mean, I had a, a friend from college and, and she grew up... When I first posted, I had done the story. She thought it was the same drains. They actually went to different ones. Hmm. But... but you know she kind of the way she described it is how every urban legend is a friend of a friend died but you know nothing specific and i asked her where she first heard the story and it sounded like it was almost like gossip on the school in the schoolyard and, yeah. and then a group of kids when they're you know in the 80s kids were probably a little bit more free to go into drains <laughs> i mean i think now parents probably, probably don't not wrong kids uh they probably probably don't let their kids on as long a leash as when we were younger um and so you would you would go places you weren't supposed to and you know talking about any of those caverns in historical um some of the documents you were looking at online probably people did hurt themselves and die and disappear i mean if you mm -hmm. fell you know in a cave if you like when i was in college we went through some cave i don't even know where it was but at one point we were like dragging ourselves with our elbows in this area that was perhaps like maybe a foot tall and you know in situations like that there's probably no satan there but they are dangerous and you could get hurt and left there yeah just the rock formations themselves can be really sharp and tear you up yeah exactly so, so you could see where you know these sort of the hidden places might start getting a lore around them but you know it seems like a mashup of different things that people tell each other to embellish the story yeah and there's also the hypothesis that these are just kind of a continuation of those kind of oh how how does it get phrased scary dares that teenagers will do to kind of prove their worth uh, it, uh traditionally it used to be like walking through a cemetery in the middle of halloween night and you still have a lot of cemeteries with that urban legend of visiting the cemetery on halloween and you will see whatever spooky ghost and this just seems to be a, a more suburban version of that and uh I think slightly more illegal <laughs> dangerous version of that but true did either of you ever uh go into creeks or caves or anything like that when you were young no uh-uh really? i did yeah <clears throat> well i grew up in a city so i wasn't like out near any i mean i used to roam around the neighborhood all the time and there was this one house at the corner of the street I grew up on that we were convinced was haunted because we knew no one lived in there but we heard <coughs> excuse me heard people walking around in there and who knows what that was but I remember when the elderly owner died his body coming out and then the paramedics putting him on the front porch on the stretcher I mean he was covered I think he was in a body bag but I, wow. that was the first time I think I had seen a body in that way. 
Mm. Like out in the wild, so to speak. Not really the wild, but uh, not in a funeral home. And it was just- The wilds of St. Louis. (laughs) Yeah, wilds of St. Louis. (laughs) There used to be a park though that was not too far from my house that it was rumored someone murdered somebody and then buried them underneath the concrete steps in Crondelet Park. Mm. And I remember, I, ha- I can see it in my head now, and I'm pretty sure it's probably still there, but there was always a rumor that that particular part of the park was haunted at night. And I think people used to dare each other to go, but right. I was too young. I was under like 10 at that point. So I yeah. wasn't allowed to go that far away from my home. <laughs> well, and, and that's one of the things that, that um, my friend put in her description was that there was a group of kids i mean it's like every 80s movie combined you know goonies uh you know you went out with a group of friends and you know parents seemed to you know be playing bridge or whatever like i said this was the 80s was kind of a free-range kid time you know yeah i mean we were kind of on our own a lot um and so and and she said they heard moaning coming from the drain and it was probably cars or you know, whatever. But when you're a kid, you know, you want it to be like ghosts. I mean, mm-hmm. part of it is yeah. you really want it to be something supernatural. Right. I mean, who, who wants the logical explanation when you have ghosts and flaming skulls? No well, one. Yeah. It's just no raccoons. One. Yeah, no one wants to know it's a possum. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't, what is, it's, and I get that, like, what is it about being safely scared? You know? Like, I don't, maybe it's the adrenaline rush. I think that's a lot of it. Yeah. Just, just like with roller coasters. It, yeah. There's this, I know with ghost hunts, when I would either host them or be on them um, or lead them, um, it, the people that were paying that weren't the normal investigators had done this for a really long time. It was an adrenaline rush. Everything was creepy because suddenly you're walking around a historical landmark that creaks when you walk past it because usually around here they're at least a hundred years old. And you hear all these ghost stories. A lot of the people who go to them were horror fans, so they're primed for this. And every single sneeze or pigeon or bat was something freaky and they loved it because it got their adrenaline rushing and probably other hormones going to like dopamine and (laughs) (laughs) i'm not a chemist or a biochemist so okay everyone we actually interviewed earlier this week a friend of ours carrie logan hollyhan who is the author of creepy and true ghosts unveiled available through abrams publishers so it was a really interesting interview please enjoy and we'll come back right after tonight we have a special guest with us carrie logan hollyhan who is the author of creepy true stories mummies exposed and ghosts unveiled and tonight we're talking about creepy and true ghosts unveiled welcome to our show carrie thank you for joining thank us thank you tonight. so much Kat. thank you it's, it's a pleasure to be here and speak with you a little bit about what i've learned about ghosts in the past three years yes so what got you interested in writing a book and this book is great for those who are just getting into the paranormal and if you're like i was a teenager 
found books extremely boring, but creepy things were fascinating. This is a good way to get into reading more about history. And that's why I loved your book, because it reminded me a lot of ones I read at the Scholastic uh, book fairs or in my library in elementary school. And that's what got me reading. And eventually I became an author myself. So what got you interested in featuring all the different locations in Ghosts Unveiled? Well, it's kind of an irony. I never dreamt I was going to write a book about ghosts, but I uh, did the first book with Abrams Books for Young Readers, Mummies Exposed, mm-hmm. and um, I, they liked it. And, um, and I think they liked it or they saw it when I was in process with it. And before I had even had it finished, they came to me and said, we would like to see you do a series. Um, and we want to call it Creepy and True. And they said, and we also like your next proposal, which was Murder and Mayhem. And uh, and because uh, I'd sent two proposals, one on mummies and one um, on Murder and Mayhem, which they kind of distilled into um, a book by Bones. So, okay, fine. So we're going to do mummies, we're going to do Bones. But in between, we want a book about ghosts. And I'm thinking, this is going to be really hard for me. And um, because I just, I, I just haven't thought much about ghosts, except that I remember seeing in great beautiful black and white, a show back about 1965 called The Ghosts of Stately England. Mm -hmm. And there it was uh, on film. um, They showed a few situations in England where um, ghosts actually appeared and disappeared. And it was actually on film. And that that stuck with with me for a long time. So so I said, okay, fine, I'll write a book about ghosts. Um, but then as I, I say right in the beginning of the book, yeah, sure, ghosts are creepy, but are ghosts true? And uh, because I, I I didn't, I consider myself to be a little bit in touch with um, the zeitgeist out there or whatever, but but exploring the paranormal wasn't something that I was really used to. And, and as you can tell from the introduction, I started randomly talking to people, um, including these kids across the street, and well, do you believe in ghosts? And people started to share stories with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a background in um, in journalism, and uh, and I tend to be, as you can kind of tell, I'm fairly chatty. So, um, <laughs> but I also like to ask people questions, and it's it's just because I guess I'm curious that way. And so, as I went through the book, I started to you know do that, and that's how kind of how it all developed. So. Yeah. yeah. And you have a variety of different stories mm-hmm. that you include. And I like how you start with ghosts of pets and animals, which does not get enough love and usually gets shoved into the back of a book. So I like how it was at the front because I know personally, I've had a lot of um, encounters with my dearly departed pets. And I know a lot of people when they do talk about their personal encounters, the pets tend to be one of the most common, especially dogs and cats. So I do like how that's the very beginning. You talk about um, ghosts. Um, and the one that I found interesting is the black sulk that you talk about the end at the very beginning with the uh, climbers finding, running into him and it just the number of times that you run into it starts determining what your fate's going to be. Yes, it's, it's a really creepy story. Really, really creepy story. Comes from a very, very old copy of the Connecticut Quarterly. And, mm-hmm. uh, but the, but the, the legend and the lore is still around with New England, like the Connecticut Historical Society and whatnot. It's a pretty well-known story. And people still say, people still have accidents, you know, up on, up on those cliffs and 
they often will attribute it to something creepy going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you were doing the research, how did you go about it? Was a lot of book research, field research, talk, you, you well, interviewed people? Before, talking to people, we wanted to do something pretty global, but of course not every culture has ghosts the way we think of ghosts in our Western, in our Western culture. Um, so, but because the book is, it's printed, it's, 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 it's set up to be multilingual, even though right now it's, it's English right now, but, but we, we do go in other languages often too, things are translated. And so I wanted to be sure that I kind of got parts of the world, all the parts of the world where we have, well, number one, ghosts that we think of as Western, as Western type ghosts, but also in Asia, um, there are also uh, the other kinds of ghosts. And I'm sure you're familiar with this because you said you have a background in Japanese studies and so on. <laughs> and so, and, um, and, 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 the, and I was in Korea um, and Japan in the summertime Mm. a few years ago and didn't really and it was so darn hot it was so hot there yes and, it's very hot and, and the ghost stories coming coming you know in july and august but i didn't realize as we were in kobe and we were we were touring an old temple and we go up to a mountain house and, the, and the, the guide said well we're going we set part of this on fire you know mm. uh and we have a celebration well that's the celebration of oban when they welcome the family spirits back mm-hmm. and then i discovered that because it's so hot you want a chilling experience. And that's why the ghosts are tied to come back in July and August. Yes. It's telling the ghost stories is supposed to give you chills, Uh which is supposed to cool you down. Yeah. So we got our Japanese, our Japanese, our three Japanese women who are really, really terrifying. And then I've got wonderful. I'm so pleased I could get images of them to put in the book. Mm. But then I, my daughter-in-law is Korean and my next door neighbor um, was born in Korea. So they talked to me a lot about Korean ghosts and I could never find any kind of an image. So I was really sad, but I guess the creepiest ghost as as it's in the book was in Korea is this egg that you kind of sort of this amorphous egg that if you, find it in the mountains and encounter it you're, you're gone that's it so hmm. yeah yeah um I know a lot of the paintings that I think you used for the book were ukyo wood prints that were done and they went with the kabuki plays that were made of like I believe you highlight okiku and the well which is the famous yes. story that yes. the ring is based off of that movie um and I can't scoot over to those pages right now, but yeah, they're very famous ghost stories that were um, translated for Kaiwadan, which was Lufcardio Hearn, who Lufcardio Hearn used to be a writer for the Cincinnati Inquirer back in the 1870s. (laughs) And he moved to Japan, married a Japanese woman and translated all those stories that you retold in your book. Well, that's so, like like an article that you need to write for something. You know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I I always love our Cincinnati ties with Japan, and also Happy Chuseok to everyone in Mid Autumn Festival. It would have happened this past weekend, so and Happy Obon uh, to all of our Japanese viewers, all two of them, which <laughs> are uh-huh. <laughs> my host family. <laughs> but moving on, uh, have you been on a paranormal investigation yet? Only virtually, um, and not, not well, I, I take that, well, I, I've watched little bits on Vimeo and things. I watched the paranormal investigation um, that took place up when, when uh, people were hunting Ned Kelly. 
Oh. Uh, the ghost of Ned Kelly in Australia. We were in mm-hmm. Australia a few years back as well. And so it was fun to kind of pick up a little bit of the vibe as they talk about it. And um, and I have I, I have a picture in here and a, and a little bit of things about, and his name escapes me right now, of a, of a really great guy who um, hunts ghosts in particular was scratched in the back by something or other when he was investigating uh, the Ned Kelly, the Ned Kelly, sorry, Ned Kelly being um, an Irish immigrant to um, to uh, Australia and therefore kind of on the outs with the, with the, with the uh, British authorities there. And um, he staged a series of, of robberies, of bank robberies and things and became quite a folk hero and an anti-hero in, uh, in Australia and he's famous to this day. And so, mm. Um, so they, I went along on a virtually on this paranormal visit to hunt Ned Kelly, and it was pretty cool to watch this happen. So yeah. Oh yeah, that is neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Ned Kelly was kind of like our Jesse James. Kind of, yes. Or I was, John uh, Dillon. Yeah, yeah. He, he was he, he was executed. He was gone at age twenty five. That was Oof, so. that is young to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, were there any haunted locations that you would like to visit that are included mm-hmm. in the book? Well, a couple of I've been, I would like to go, I would like to go to Turkey. I would like to go to Gallipoli. Mm-hmm. I wrote a book in, in Turkey, uh, in the Dardanelles. I wrote a book on World War One a few years ago. And so I, and back in the day, there was a really famous movie called Gallipoli with Brian Brown back in, I want to say the eighties, I think. Um, and so that kind of sparked my interest. And when I started researching the ghosts of World War One, uh, we had, um, the story of, of, this, of this actual journal, journalist, uh, Sidney Mosley, who um, documented um, a sighting of a, of a young man um, who had been killed or was dying um, and returned um, from one of, the, one of the dead, from one of the battles there uh, up Gallipoli. Um, and then the other one too was the Angel of Mong, M-O-N-S, uh, in France and Belgium. Uh, this uh, supposedly ranks of, of uh, angelic archers that um, started firing on the Germans um, and beat them and allowed office and provided cover to um, the British troops who were on retreat early in World War One at the Battle of Mont. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that kind of struck me because it goes way back to English lore with the with the longbow archers and things way back from the 1400s and 1300s. Right. And so. I thought that was pretty cool, pretty interesting. So I would like to go see that in Turkey. Yeah, yeah. that does sound really interesting. Yeah. I like that. It's it's a different location too than what most people say. Right, right. Yeah, most I hear people it's are... quite a sobering place, and it's very, it's very, it's it's kind of very peaceful. From what I read, people kind of of all these different cultures, such so it's just a hot spot now. Mm-hmm. Internationally, people kind of all kind of come together, and it's kind of peaceful, which is kind of which is very cool. Yeah, yeah, that's and it's nice for a haunted location to be. Mm-hmm peaceful mm-hmm. yeah right. uh is there a location that you would avoid well <laughs> from what i watched the little bit of your research i understand i understand there's a location right here in my very hometown of blue ash that i think i want to avoid i ask you guys <laughs> a little that bit be satan's hollow <laughs> exactly it's like i kind of think i kind of think i know where you guys are talking about i'm not too sure i want to go there and i'm not taking my little black dog there either so no yeah. You may yeah. not see your dog again <laughs> if you went to see and follow. That's right. Yeah, Christina went there. and uh, Okay, cool. I'll have to find out more about that. So, yeah, that's, yeah. I, I will admit, that's one of the few places in Cincinnati I haven't been to yet. But Christina found it. 
So maybe she'll take me there sometime. <laughs> no, no, I don't. <laughs> in the in the winter time, maybe I don't know if someone just don't get poison ivy. But that's true. It's all over the place here. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, was there a story that really impacted you, either for better oh. or for good, that you learned about and you're just like, wow. Oh man, you know that's 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 really kind of tough. Well, I, I enjoyed. Um, it didn't really grab me, but I enjoyed learning the, the background behind Ghostbusters, oh, the yeah. old movie. And, and I, I, had a, I had a fun time trying to connect with Doc, with um, Roger Aykroyd, Dan Aykroyd's dad, mm-hmm. in order to get permission to use. First of all, you know, Dan Aykroyd, he said, well, I'm like, he's like the fifth generation, fourth or fifth generation. And he said, as, as the family line went down, the paranormal capabilities kind of got distilled a little bit. But um, but the fact that, that his great grandfather, I'm sure I got this right. His great grandfather, you know, had these seances in their house on the lake in Canada and so on. And they they conjured up people, one thing or another, and and trying to reach his dad, which I had to do. Kind of, it, it took two or three getting going through a, a library in Canada connected me to a man that obviously manages the fa- or deals with the family, and I get, went through him in order to get permission from Mr. Aykroyd to use these family pictures and so on and so forth, and so. It was just, it was just, it's just rewarding to see how people all, you know, have family ties and all interact. And this family happens to be, you know, in touch with the spirit world. And that was really, really kind of cool that they could conjure up these people there, you know, courtesy of this young man that was a family friend, you know, mm-hmm. and the stuff that happened and this, the ectoplasm is not green and gooey the way we thought of it. It was this kind of white cloudy stuff that mm-hmm. just appears. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was neat. Yeah, that is really neat. Yeah. And yeah, the Ackroyd family is fascinating. They're just yeah, very outspoken too. I guess um, it's some kind of a gin now. I think Dan Ackroyd's marketed some kind of some kind of alcohol. It's it's, it's spirit. Uh, crystal yeah. skull gin. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah, vodka, vodka. I think. Mm, vodka. Uh, but it yeah, it's it, it's in a crystal skull. It looks really cool. Um, so I think uh, maybe I need to go get myself one of those. I think I do if I can find one. And I was just thinking like all the other stories here, like, um, you know, the ghost at Antietam. One of the creepiest ones, again, if you don't mind me you say, is the dolls, the doll island there in Xochimilco in Mexico yes. City. I don't think I ever want to go see that. I That's just like, ugh, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, the, there's a lot of... What always has freaked me out is more the spiders, the great amount of spiders creeping out of the dolls. I know they make for great video, just uh-huh. creeping out of the doll heads, but I'm not a big spider. Like, I don't mind spiders, but I don't want to run into them. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There's where I have my yeah. hesitation. It's usually the wildlife. It has nothing to do with the supernatural. <laughs> <laughs> I've run but into too many possums and raccoons. Spirits, you, know, spirits, you, know, you just never know how they are. Yes. Yeah. Um, so do you have any future events happening that you would like to share with our audience? Um, not at the moment. I've done quite a few videos. I did one, I did one, um, video, which I need to link to my website. Um, I was very honored that followed the book distributor to schools and libraries, mm-hmm. uh, based in Illinois, um, chose my book for first chapter Friday. Oh. And they're doing that, you know, as a video thing too. Um, and so, uh, I actually shared the introduction to my book and I, and I read it. And that's of course the story where I start where, 
my grandmother visited my sister mm-hmm. in our bedroom. We were little kids right after my grandmother died. And my sister was really upset about the whole thing. And darn if grandma didn't show up one night on the bottom of her bed and patted her and told her everything was fine and so on. And Anne was 10, I was 13, and we shared a bedroom. So I was in the bed like three feet away. I didn't know anything, but if, if in there in the book, you'll see what my sister has to say about that experience. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And then the fact that I did have, I visualized the one, only time I would say that I did visualize what I really thought was something ghostly was also witnessed by my neighbor. Oh, wow. Um, you know, and that kind of finished the book you know, up with that, you know, at the end of the book, because, and it was just, it just blew me away that she, that she corroborated something I had seen 15, 20 years ago, you know, and she just corroborated it like last year or two, two years ago. I just, you know, and then again, that's at the end of the book too, you know, how we, you know, she independently confirmed that we've both seen the same apparition of two little children. Wow. I saw them going from one direction and she saw them going from other direction, but we saw the same thing, which was like, whoa. So, yeah. But that's always a relief when you run into somebody that has had the same experience you have in the same location. And that's when you sit and pause for a moment and go, what's really going on here? Because it wasn't in my head then. Somebody else saw it. So what's going on? Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us today. Well, this was a welcome. wonderful interview. Thank you. thank you for asking me to appear on your podcast. This is pretty, is a pretty darn cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's a lot to this strange and spooky world and we have no problem interviewing everyone to get to the bottom of it. So you've got a lot, a lot of food for the mill here. I think lot, lot, <laughs> lots to talk about here in Cincinnati and all around. So yeah. Cincinnati. Good, luck with your, good luck with your podcast. I think it's really going to be fun for you. Thank you. You're and back. good luck with the book. And well, thanks. I'm here. I'm going to shamelessly, shamelessly self promotion. There it's is no shameless self promotion. Written, written for 10 to 14 year olds. But I would say that adults who want a good, lighter read would enjoy this as well. Yes, I so, did. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. So that was creepy and true stories mum, or not mummies well you have mummies exposed but also ghosts unveiled by carrie hollyham and please pick it up or get a digital copy is it available at your local booksellers it's now? available at your local independent bookstore it's available online i personally ask you to promote those you know those those brick and mortar bookstores or their online affiliates um because uh the written word it's a tough time for, as you know, publishers, it's a tough time for publishers, tough time for illustrators, tough time for authors, and um, we want to keep it all going, whatever we do. My yes. name is be nonfiction for kids, but we want to keep it going, and I would say it's money well spent. So, Indeed it is. Thank you for joining us. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> Bye. Yay. Yay. We're not really going to talk too much about the interview it kind of speaks stands on its own i think hello everyone welcome back we are now in our hometown haunt segment this is the part of the show where we encourage you to send in your own haunted tales from your hometowns so for example i shared about my ghost story from mishawaka indiana in the haunted hacienda mexican restaurant Jen shared her story about St. Louis and the Exorcist. 
And we would love to hear your stories. So you can send those to cincycuriosities at gmail.com and we can read them on the air for you. And I love reading things. So also we have a Twitter and Instagram. So our Instagram is Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities and our Twitter is Sin Cabinet Curio. But you can contact us. We're very active on social media, especially Christina. And uh, we will thank you and then read them on, on air. So, Christina, who sent in today's hometown haunt? It's a friend from college. Sorry about that. It's okay. <laughs> Jim writes, in 1988, while attending University of Cincinnati, Jen and I inherited an old road old row house in Clifton. It was owned by a very distant relative no one had known about. She was a recluse hoarder who died in the house filled with piles of collected materials. There were passed through the massive piles of old newspapers, string, aluminum foil, and every garbage can lid within 10 blocks. Oh my. After renting a truck and hauling everything to the dump, we moved in. We soon noticed odd things. Doors would close or open on their own, and we would be awoken by strange sounds. Then, one day, Jen was in the kitchen and yelled out for me. She was standing at the stove and felt someone enter the room and touch her on the shoulder. Being a supportive spouse, I told her that she was crazy and laughed it off. A week later, I was standing in the kitchen at the sink. I heard and felt someone enter the room, walk up behind me, and put their hand on my shoulder. I turned around, expecting to see Jen, and no one was there. Dun, dun, dun. That's the end of the story. Thank you, Jim, for sharing that. It's Clifton, so you're always hearing weird things. I you're think I did. <laughs> I, I think I didn't paste it, but I, I, he said that it happened to whoever moved in afterwards, too. Like, so somebody bought the house uh, after they left and experienced the same thing. Oh, ghosts of hoarders. Yes. Is, is that a thing? It is now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they can die in their hordes. They do. So. They get swooshed. They get swooshed by their hordes. What yeah. is it? Have you ever seen uh, Homicide Detective? Uh, Joe Kenda on Investigation Discovery. Yes, yes. Yeah. When I you said Joe Kenda, I'm like, yes! I think it was his case, or I saw this in a TV show that they were looking for a missing person and it they were in a hoar the hoarder's house on the couch, dead underneath stuff. Yeah, I there was. I have a friend that's. I have to look that up. <laughs> I'm just thinking beef jerky. I have some yeah. friend, a friend that had some relatives that were hoarders. They were like sisters or something. This almost sounds like an urban legend, but I think it really was true that they got crushed by all the garbage in their house and stuff. Yeah, that's just. That's I've sad. heard of mice and cats and other pets dying in hoarders things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. a lot of times it, it literally is something you can't walk through. Yeah. I mean, it really is packed with stuff. Yeah. And well, it, yeah. 
growing up again in St. Louis, one of our neighbors at the end of the street, she um, never let anybody in her house. And I went into her house once because I used to play with her grandkids. And when I, and it was this big, old, beautiful kind of Victorian, Victorian house. But when I walked in, you couldn't see the staircase. You knew where it was, but all you could see was the light at the top and there was no way it was just and of course I was little but it, it was a mountain of stuff and I didn't realize what that was I thought that was just her and then I don't know when I realized what a hoarder was but then I was just like oh okay that was that's probably that when was. hoarders came out probably yeah I live in fear that I'm because I get sentimental sentimentally attached to things mm-hmm. and I'm worried about myself <laughs> not that I I can still walk through my house and it's not, oh my God, I'm going to make myself sound like such a hoarder. I'm not a hoarder, but you know, they always say you're like one traumatic event away from being a hoarder. Yes. And you know, I, yeah, I, I've given my sister permission. If I ever turn, turn into one that she can come in and just, you know, throw my shit away, no matter how much I get angry. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I just cleaned out my mom's house and oh my that was a lot so now when I look at my stuff I'm like do I need this if I haven't worn it or used it in the past 12 months it's out so unless it's a special occasion like Halloween costumes of course I'm going to only be wearing those like once a year in the decorations but like uh we just tossed out a lot of our old college university books because Mm. we Mm -hmm. can't resell them right college students really don't use books anymore everything's online so we and oh my goodness so um we got we we got rid of those recycled those and yeah it's funny because my dad my dad was a nuclear engineer and so when i was just learning to read i wondered why he had so many books about psychics (laughs) (laughs) but it was physics i just couldn't read that well (laughs) the cult occult science <laughs> of nuclear fusion why does he have all these books on psychics he must be really into that that's stuff. where all the human sacrifices go <laughs> you delivered that perfectly christina <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <sighs> yeah my thing right now is photos i inherited my grandfather died two years ago and my grandmother, his first wife, <clears throat> the, tons and tons of photos. I had never seen them, never knew they existed. So now I have all these photos of family members. I have no idea who they are, but I'll be damned if I get rid of them because they're really cool old photos. Mm-hmm. But what do you do with them? They sit in a box on a shelf. You know, I'd like to scan them in, but it's thousands of photos. Yeah, I got there's services. There are huh? services. Yeah, there's services oh, that will spend. I mean, you could always send it to one of those, and I think they put them on. I mean, that's probably the best thing is to have them put on discs or discs. Listen to me, yeah. like in a club. Yeah, you know, I was young. We used these discs. <laughs> How about a zip drive, there, Christina? Yeah. floppy disk <laughs> we yeah we used to use these five and a half inch you know i mean when i first started <laughs> using a computer we used cassettes to record stuff on so yeah <laughs> i mean you know 
<laughs> I think now they offer flash drives. <laughs> Everyone, thank you for joining us for another exciting episode of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities presents Hometown Hunts. I am your host, Kat Cloco. I also have Christina Wald and Jen Kohler. You can follow us at Sin Cabinet Curio on Twitter, Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities on Instagram, and become a member of our kick well not a member of our kickstarter team pledge to our kickstarter it goes until t- november 2nd there are a variety of different options for tiers we just released the regional cryptid print uh, tier which is 35 dollars, and it comes with four prints a physical copy of cincinnati cabinet of curiosities issue one it's signed by everyone and a digital copy and stickers and a whole bunch of other fun things. So go find us on Kickstarter. We're on the Fresh Picks. Uh, we are one of the projects we love by Kickstarter. It's just Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities in that search bar. So thank you. Until next time, stay spooky. Bye. Bye.